This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Just a reminder that Big Mood, Little Mood with Daniel M. Lavery happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini episode or Little Big Mood every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com slash mood. Hello and welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I am your host, Danny M. Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is Adrian Bain, the host and creator of A Race Around the World, based on the true adventures of Nellie Bly and Elizabeth Bisland. She's also the creator of the popular travel podcast, Strangers Abroad, as well as a writer, live storyteller, and solo world traveler. Adrian, welcome to the show. Oh my God, it's a delight to be here. I'm so excited that you're here, and I was so pleased with myself when you mentioned A Race Around the World and you said two reporters from the 1880s. Mm-hmm. I said, one of them's got to be Nellie Bly. 100%. And did she just have, like, amazing press? Like, why is it that she more than any— I feel like Nellie Bly is always showing up in media about that era. Mm-hmm. as just, like, a shorthand for, like, new women. Yep. Uh, urbanization. Reporters. Like, yep. But surely she—it was, it wasn't just her and Ida B. Wells and nobody else, but the, I feel like they get the best press. There's, like, a small percentage of them. Um, there's another woman— that the that Elizabeth Bisland runs into named Winifred Black, who's out in San Francisco. So like that's kind of all that came up in my own reporting and like research of it. But I will say that most female writers, journalists at the time, about two percent of journalists were women, and most of them wrote about like cranberry elixirs and how to sew a beautiful gown that looks like the Rockefellers. You know, it wasn't this hard hitting racing upstairs to get the story kind of a MO, but Nellie Bly was cut different for sure. And she, the moment she like, she really elbows her way into being like a serious reporter because she looks at all, she hates doing like talking about the women's sphere. She's like, this is the most boring shit I've ever seen. And I like, don't want to talk about this. I don't care about dresses. Like I want to go undercover and expose corrupt politicians. So she really is one of her kind, and it's such an inspiration for women at the time based on, like, letters that were sent to her to the point where other women, she becomes, like, kind of a—she's from Pennsylvania. She gets a job in Pennsylvania. She moves to New York because her ambitions are too big. Um, And by the time she is an established reporter for the New York World, owned by Joseph Pulitzer, she is so popular that other women pretend to be her. And they'll just, like, send hotel bills and, like, dress charges to the New York World. So I kind of love that there is this little step. And, like, no one can trace anybody down back then, you know? So, like, I just love the fact that there's this little stack of receipts that the New York World begrudgingly pays because they're female journalist is so good at what she does. And that's a wild way to take advantage of a system. But um, it's just one of the funny little stories that are nestled in this incredible story. So she really was like 
she had no, there were no limits to what she wanted to do. That's remarkable. I also love that. I I am sure this is always the case, but it always feels like the golden age of scamming and fraud Mm. were long before you were born, (laughs) just because you know the technologies at the time. But I was recently rewatching, you know, The Women, the 1939 George Cukor movie? No. It's great. It's wonderful. There's a great scene where Joan Crawford goes to this fancy store Uh and she wants to charge all of these things. And they just ask her for the name and address of a man, any man. And she's just like, oh, you know, Paul Smith, Wall Street. Boom. And then it's just like, great. This like, And it just feels like you could just like give a name yep. and an address like, oh, 10 Wall Street. And they'd be like, we will send him we a bill. We believe that, yeah. And that was just, yeah. I mean, again, it was a movie. Presumably it was not uh, accurate down to the minute of how people lived. But I, I like to believe that if I went back in time, I could just say, charge a 10 LA blind. Exactly. Do one little scam. Yeah. If I was to go back in time, this is how I would spend it. Just one tiny scam. And just all I want to do is That's abuse I, some honor systems. Just a little bit. Yeah. All right. Well, I will try not to think about scams and frauds that I would like to perpetrate against the public while we are trying to yeah. advise people. Yeah. I, I think our first question today is complicated and, and, and thorny in a way that we should probably try to, like, keep our expectations limited in terms of, like, we can offer counsel and suggestion. But right. this is going to be a while uh, before things get really better. Yeah, totally. Our, our second two questions, I think, are maybe more of a piece with one another. And they're they're a little bit more sort of like, what do I do about this one thing right now? Um, and, and while they're not fun, exactly, I do think they'll potentially uh, come into your remit, and especially in terms of, like, traveling and traveling solo yeah. and dealing with, like, different expectations uh, as well as sort of where's the line between my rights and somebody else's rights, totally. when am I being appropriate, when am I being inappropriate, et cetera. So I'm, 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 I'm trying to find a way to make sure that we're speaking to some of your expertise. Yeah, no worries. Wonderful. Oh, my God. I just love talking. So great. We can just talk. I can yeah. accommodate that. Not a problem. <laughs> So the subject of our first letter is emotionally exhausted, which seems appropriate. Mm -hmm. I recently ended my relationship after eight years. I'm 48 and they're 49. Neither of us is working right now, and my ex has a difficult-to-diagnose health issue that leaves them briefly exhausted for an hour or two once a day. Their support network is threadbare, and their only family is out of state. I do not want to force them out of the house, and I worry about their future. This mirrors the not-great dynamics of our relationship. We were in couples therapy for three years and identified a codependency whereby I tried to anticipate their every need and, quote, pre-compromised with them on all of them. I didn't see another way to be. Last year, I started transitioning. I'm a trans woman, and it's the best decision I've ever made. At first, my partner, who is genderqueer, was somewhere between neutral and supportive, but as I started to come into myself, we discovered we didn't have good tools for disagreeing. We tried to work on this, but there was still a pattern of anger and confrontation on their end, and I kept having to de-escalate what I considered to be increasingly manipulative behavior. Hmm. I started talking to friends about it, and they agreed with me. When we tried to discuss this, my ex was defensive. Oh, you think that was angry? You'll know when I'm angry. Or, I'm just a direct person, etc. I blamed myself for not being able to meet their needs, but finally realized I had to end things. So now I have this person in my house who I still care for, but don't want here. I want to set them up for as much success as I can, but I don't know where the line between that and being taken advantage of is. If you have any advice on how to walk this particular tightrope, I would appreciate it. A lot of there there. There's so much here. Yeah. What do you think of as sort of like a 
a first order of business that you would want to encourage this letter writer to do, whether that's research or or therapeutic or interpersonal? Where would you want them to start? Oof. I mean, I feel like this person is being very self-aware of like, look at I have these issues of codependency and I have these issues of communication with this person. But I still kind of, if I may, I still kind of hear a lot of the codependency coming out of this letter by being like, how can I set them up for support? Their family isn't close. They don't have a lot of like connections close to where they live. So part of me is like, like you can't take that on as somebody, especially because it kind of feels like their ex-partner is not really offering the same to this person. I would definitely continue to like go to therapy to talk about it. But what I would advise is like, how can you channel all of the energy you're putting into caring about this person's feelings and well-being and help channel it into finding them another place to live? You know, because like that, at the end of the day, you both have chosen not to be together anymore. And in order for you to like both thrive down your new paths, like it, it cannot be together in any realm, space, or environment. So I would channel the energy towards how do we find them, maybe getting help them get a job that they feel like they're physically able to do and getting them a new place to live. Yeah, you know, I feel both like I want to respect the letter writer says that, you know, neither of us is working right now and right. my ex has health issues. Right. So I, I absolutely, letter writer, I'm with you. I do not want to suggest uh, tack up a 30-day notice on your totally. ex's bedroom door and say, get the fuck out. Yeah. Um, that said, I'm not really worried that you're on the verge of doing that. Based on what you've told us about your history, letter writer, and where your sort of priorities are now, it doesn't sound like you're in any real danger of doing that. So mm-hmm. I, I want to advise you towards a path that is reasonable and clear with your ex, but that does not place the burden on you of, well, now I've got to find my ex a new place to live. Right. Or I've got to get my ex in in touch with their out-of-state family or help them, you know, with their diagnoses. You know, this is one of those slightly cruel-to-be-kind situations where just as you are breaking up, um, you can wish your ex well. But part of what that means is you are not in the business of solving problems together. Yeah. And that is appropriate and normal for a breakup. So I think if there's a part of you that feels like I'm not really allowed to push on moving out until my ex gets a job or finds some money on the ground or suddenly comes into an inheritance, like that that might never happen. Yeah. Um, so I think this is going to have to be a place for you to lean on in therapy. How do I find a way to stick to Again, like a reasonable amount of notice uh, in terms of like this is and, – and so all of this is to say I think you're going to need to probably consult a lawyer or at Ooh, least yeah. – I don't mean in the sense that you're going to be taking your ex to court. Right. But depending on what state you live in. Right. And, and based on this letter, my impression was that she owns the house, the letter writer does. I was not – I was kind of like why is the letter writer saying that they are in control of the house? I mean, my sense just was like, she owns the house and her ex has been living with her because it's now I have this person in my house. And I I feel like usually if it's like we're both on the lease of an apartment, 
Right. They'll mention that in a letter. I see. And when somebody says someone's in my house, unless I've given been given reason to think otherwise. Okay. Uh, now, if this is truly just the two of you are on a lease together, uh, find out when your lease is up and yeah. make your own arrangements. Yeah. Um, that would be easier. Right. But if you do own the house, and again, that was sort of my guess because she says neither of us is working right now. Right. And if you own the house, maybe that wouldn't be quite the same problem. Sure, sure, sure. Anyways, we are slightly speculating. So yeah. obviously, if this is not the case, take it with a grain of salt. But like, if you are in the state of California, it's going to be very, very, very difficult to evict someone who doesn't want to go. Mm. If you live in another state, it might be less difficult. Right. So again, I think where possible, you should give someone more notice than the law requires just because it is genuinely difficult to find a new place to live. Yeah. But I really do think like you should find out what do I owe my ex legally? Don't violate the law. Uh, give your ex whatever notice and opportunities the law entitles them to. But find out what that law is and then follow it. So yeah. again, just like look into that. I don't know what state you're in, yeah. but if you own the house and your ex has been living there for years, and it, there's even been like a, a an acknowledgement between the two of you of like financial hardship. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot harder. Um, and again, I, hopefully, this is the sort of thing where you can say to your ex, um, "I want to give you enough notice to look for another place on your own." Right. Here's your written notice of like I don't know, 180 days, right? Like really trying to to give them a long runway. Yeah. But then to really stick to it and to figure out with your therapist, how do I make sure I stick to it? If my ex wants to respond to that with, but what will I do? How will I keep myself from saying, I don't know. Obviously, I can't, you know, commit to this date until I've helped you solve this problem. Right. And if you feel like, I don't know how I'm going to do that, you'll need to figure out how you're going to do that because you're not in the business of solving your ex's problems anymore. You're not. And I feel like it does kind of Tell me if I feel like if you agree with the vibe of this, but it sounds like the ex is not terribly motivated to like, I envision like someone sleeping on a couch and being like cool with it and all of their clothes are in the living room. Yeah. So I do think, yeah, like a a nudge, a wide berth of a day, a wide berth of time to be like, hey, right, you have six months to like find a new place. And ultimately, like, if you do still care for this person, you just don't want to build resentment. Like, it doesn't sound like it was the cleanest breakup to begin with. But, like, if you still care about this person's well-being and maybe there's some world where, like, you can be amicable in the future, like, you don't want the resentment of, like, this person won't leave my house, you know? And ultimately, like, if you want to maintain friends, then that is also something to consider the longer that they're there. I was very thrown by the, like, this health issue was vague. And I was like, I don't, I can't gather what that could be. I couldn't either. You know. Yeah. My sense was sort of like, this is potentially either part of why they're not able to work right now or it has made looking for work difficult. Right. um, And or has just been like, that's on my mind. I don't want to like kick someone out with 24 hours notice right. who like can't keep a roof over their head, which yeah. again, I think is a good impulse. Yeah. That's that's a good compassionate approach. Yeah. Um, but really, I think like leaving aside all of the interpersonal stuff, this is a question of tenants' rights. Yeah. So again, just like consult the law, talk to a lawyer, find out what you owe your ex in terms of giving them adequate notice, and then do that. And that's it. You don't have to, like, the good news here is you don't have to work on your communication issues with your ex anymore because it's your ex. You don't have to worry about their problems. And I don't mean in the sense of, like, go fuck off. I don't give a shit about you. But in the sense of 
I would never encourage somebody to get really involved in solving their very recent ex's problems because you two just agreed to break up. Yeah. That kind of means, among other things, that you're not invested in a future together, that you don't have the same story of what your relationship looks like, and you're not really well equipped to help each other beyond just the sort of basic respect and care that you would want to give to any tenant um, yeah. or roommate. So uh, I think— you will be able to deal with and process your own resentments about the way that your ex handled anger in your own time. Yeah. But that just doesn't have anything to do with what do I need to do here as a landlord? Yeah. I so- I'm sorry that I did advise, like, help them find a job. Like, that isn't their job, but, like, anything to get the train moving a little bit. I get that. But, but I, again, that's just also, like, it's who not knows how advice. long that could take. Totally. Yeah. I take that back. I take that back, letter writer. Understandable. I Especially, give, they were together for eight years. I get it. I can't. There's so much time there. And there's so many, like, deep-rooted patterns and behaviors. Mm-hmm. But, like, my parents are horticulturists. You got to rip the plant out by the roots, you know? And, like— Yeah. Yeah. I think a wide berth of, like, hey, I was once asked—I had, like, a roommate who once asked— who, like, had a girlfriend. They wanted the whole space to themselves. They gave me three months heads up. Mm -hmm. And that was, like, honestly a generous amount of time. So, yeah, I think it's just, like, you got to be, you got to be firm and you got to put their foot down. And, like, even if this person, even if your ex leaves and you don't feel like they're set up for success, like, that's not your burden anymore because they are your ex. Yeah. And, I mean, again, I think giving them lots of advance notice, Mm -hmm. being clear, Although that's good, it also doesn't necessarily mean that your ex is going to leave in a good situation. And I'm sorry about that, too. That's also hard. I don't know what their future is going to look like, and I can't guarantee anything about their future. But I also know that it is okay to break up with someone, and it is okay to commit to a breakup, by which I mean, like, break up and then actually break up. Um, And so, again, uh, I don't. I don't want you to boomerang to the other side and say, you know, because my ex has manipulated me, I'm actually going to give them like 24 hours notice and just turn them out onto the street. I would not encourage you to do that. But neither would I say, oh, if if they want to have a lot of long conversations about how you two talk and handle conflict, you've got to indulge that. You don't. You broke up. Yeah. And I I just think one of the worst things that a person can go through is constant processing with the recent ex. I've seen it happen. I've done it myself. It doesn't make anybody happy. It doesn't feel good. It just, it's like obsessively scratching an itch and thinking eventually I'm going to fix this. And it's just like, frankly, the best thing that you can give them is adequate notice. Yep. And then, and then then same for you. Like you deserve to be out of this relationship. Yeah. Do we think that they're like, that the letter writer in writing this letter is a little bit self-sabotaging the breakup because they're like, I don't want to kick him out. Like, they're still in a little bit of, like, the codependency seat of it, you know? And, like, by not forcing them to move out, then the breakup isn't official, official, real because they are still technically living together. So I feel like with that, too, I would definitely, like, what Danny was saying— Flag that for your therapist, you know, if you if therapy is like the right track and you feel great with that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't even know that we need to frame it just yet as potential sabotage so much as just you're starting something new. 
which yeah. is uh, you are beginning to separate from a relationship where in the past you have bent over backwards to accommodate someone else. Yeah. That's difficult and new. And that also requires, it's not just like breaking up with someone you don't live with, where it's just like, I'll come get my stuff and then delete your number. Right. Uh, it, it requires more of a process. And you do have to take into account like the length of time it's going to take someone else to try to find a, a backup. But again, the difference between I'm going to give my ex more than just the bare minimum of the law, but I'm also going to stick to the clarity of like, this is the move out date yeah. versus I'm going to engage in an open-ended, who knows how long this will take process whereby I help my ex get a job and find a new apartment. Um, that I think would be an inappropriate continued entanglement. So yeah. less about sabotage and more about how do you just continue the, you've already started the ball rolling. Yeah. You did the breakup. There is a little bit more to come. It's not just one and done. You will have to actually stop living together. Yeah. But you can do that. You can take steps towards making that happening. And I think to that end, like, talk to your friends, get additional support. If you feel like I'm going to have a really difficult time, you know, get extra support around that. Make sure that you're clear and put things in writing and that you, mm -hmm. you know, give your ex all of the advance notice that they are entitled to and that you don't violate any state laws. And then enjoy the silence and the peace once you two are no longer living together. And I hope that your next partner or partners or next long period of singleness is great and everyone's wonderful about your transition yeah. and not neutral slash iffy. Yeah. Uh, I want better than that for you. So good luck, letter writer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. I'll take us to our next one, which I think is a little bit easier. It might be a little bit shorter. Yeah. And I, I think actually that the letter writer kind of already knows what the answer is and mm -hmm. just like needs to hear it. Yeah. But it's sort of just the basic problem of like, I, I live in the world. Yeah. The world is loud. World is I wish it weren't. Loud. What can I do? Somebody says, sleepless, but not in Seattle. I'm a white woman and I've recently moved into a predominantly black and Latino neighborhood. Almost every night... Neighbors park next to my house and blast music loud enough to rattle my windows. 
A group of guys sit around the car smoking, drinking, and chatting, usually until midnight. I need to wake up at 5 a.m. for work. I've tried to speak with them about it, but there's a language barrier, and it's a bunch of drunk guys at night, and I'm a single woman. I'm not going to call the cops. I don't want to be the white lady who comes in and demanding the neighborhood change. Do I have any options other than earplugs? I have so many feelings about this. I am somebody who is very sensitive to noise. So the choice of living in Brooklyn is like, when I get upset about how loud it is, I remind myself that I I voluntarily choose to be here, you know, because like when you move to someplace, like it comes with a lot. It's not like I want Brooklyn to be quiet right now and like everyone's going to be quiet. You have to know what you have signed up for. I feel for this letter writer because I also live on a very loud street where there's like fire fighters and fire trucks and ambulances like go off pretty frequently. And I live across the street from a grocery store. So there's always tractor trucks going through. Mm-hmm. And you can't necessarily control it. And I have also lived with someone who would be inebriated and blast their music. And let me tell you, the last thing that they want to hear is to turn it down. So you don't want to cause any conflict, especially because, like, you're relatively new here. I also understand this, like, conflicting feeling of being the white lady who's, like, frustrated by something and feeling like your anger is not going to be taken seriously and you're going to be looked at as a Karen, even though, like, it is totally okay to feel like, my windows are rattling and I need to go to sleep now. But ultimately, like, you can only control yourself. And I also totally feel the like, hey, I don't want to have to deal with a whole bunch of drunk guys when I am alone. Like, that you cannot control. My question is like, I'm curious how long you've lived there and if you are attached to this place. Maybe you move to a different corner of a neighborhood that's like a little bit quieter the first chance you get. But something that I've literally considered doing is getting, like, thicker pane windows. So, like, if you have moved there kind of recently, maybe you could talk to your landlord and be like, hey, now that I've been here for a little bit, I've noticed that it gets pretty loud at night. Is there any way that, like, maybe we could, you could get me new windows, thicker pane? I remember being in this, like, apartment in the East Village that lived over a club and you couldn't hear anything. So that is kind of like, I know that is like at your expense. Hopefully it might be at your landlord's expense. But like if you move out and your landlord wants a new person, like they're going to have to deal with the noise as well of any kind. So another thing that you could definitely do is like get yourself the nicest pair of noise canceling headphones. I personally sleep with a white noise maker earplugs and a fan on. Like, I really white noise my room out. Maybe try to move your bed as far away from the noise as possible. But, like, ultimately, only you can control yourself. And it is really frustrating because there was never a collective agreement amongst humans of, like, hey, we have all of these things that make a lot of noise. Is that good for us when it is in public spaces? Like, there has been no collective conversation with that. And a lot of people... I sometimes feel like I have to white-knuckle my way through somebody else's noise when we're sharing a public space. Mm -hmm. And that's just, like, a conversation that, like, collectively we have not had. And we've just, like, accepted, like, okay, this person is blasting their music. Like, 
No one's going to tell them to stop. And it's a very strange position we've kind of all put ourselves into. But ultimately, all you can control is yourself. Get a nice pair of noise-canceling headphones, get thicker windows, and see when is your lease up. Yeah, I I think that that's... I think there's a reason that the letter writer said, uh, I don't want to be the white lady who comes in demanding the neighborhood change. And so I think, you know, you say, letter writer, I've tried to talk to them about it, but there's a language barrier. So it's not really clear to me to what extent, like, I don't get a lot of clues about, like, how did that conversation go? Right. Have you ever just, like, said hi outside of that? Yeah. Um, But, yeah, same thing. Like, you moved into a neighborhood where, like, a big group of people do something pretty regularly. Um, And so I just, I agree. Like, frankly, if you did call the cops, I don't think that would stop anything either. I think that just means, like, three hours later, the cops would wake you up with a bunch of fucking sirens. (laughs) Yeah. And then they'd be like, well, there's no one here. So, right. you know, and that's a best case scenario. Yeah. And so I agree. I don't think that's going to do much good. It, it's not like there's one person who's bothering everybody. This is yeah. like a thing that people on the block do. It's like a community thing. Yeah. And frankly, like they're done at midnight. That's not an unreasonable amount that's of time to be like out in public space. I get that it sucks that it's right in front of your house. Yeah. But I think, again, the most you can do is like. If you want to, you could, I think, get in the habit of just, like, saying hi earlier in the day. Like, Like, you don't have to be going out at, like, 11 p.m. And again, like, if you're like, no, we did not have a good interaction. I don't want to interact more. You certainly don't have to. But, like, if you happen to walk past them at, like, 6 p.m. and it's mostly pretty laid back, if you just want to, like, briefly say hi, I think that might go a little way towards, like, just general sense of, like, getting to know people in the neighborhood. Again, if you don't want to, I would encourage you to get to know some of your other neighbors so that you have a little bit more of a sense of yourself as someone other than the white lady who just moved here. Yeah. Um, So I think that that will also potentially help. But yeah, beyond that, that's part of the problem of like living in neighborhoods is other people make noise when you don't want to and vice versa. And I, I really do get it. Like I am also kind of a light sleeper and I often get really frustrated when I wake up. But it's it's not like my neighbors are having huge parties every night until like 3 a.m. Like they they drink and smoke and talk until midnight and then they go to bed. It just happens to conflict with your unusually early schedule, which yeah. is a bummer. But short of trying to ask them to turn it down, I don't have any other solutions. And so I think, again, the real issue here, aside from just the usual frustration that comes from living in a city, is how do I feel like anything other than the white interloper in this neighborhood whose only relationship to this neighborhood is potentially one of, like, punishment. I think it's good to be aware of that and to not want that. I commend you on not wanting that. And so I just encourage you, don't be that person. Don't be that lady. Get to know your other neighbors, if not these guys, other people. Have interactions with people that are not just like, I go to bed early and I only live here because I have to. Right. Um, Be friendly and welcoming and try to find ways that you can appreciate your neighbors and get to know them better. And... Get great headphones and maybe switch your room. Like if 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 it were me, I would consider, is there another room in the house that could potentially be a bedroom that's further away? Yeah. Um, and then that's my last one. Yeah. Yeah. I like the getting to know your neighbor isn't just like that. I feel like it's so when people make like a lot of noise, it's just really easy to vilify people from a distance mm-hmm. and like putting a face and a name is just going to be like, okay, this is the world that I have moved into. I want to get to know everybody and like see where everybody else is at. 
Yeah. 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 When you get to know people slightly better and then yeah. it's just no longer, oh, there are people who live near me who inconvenience me. So exactly. I'm just like, these are the people who live near me and we all inconvenience each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I, I think that's my final thought on the on the yeah. matter letter. I think you already know you don't have a lot of options here yeah. in terms of getting other people to accommodate your schedule. But hopefully you will be able to slightly minimize some of the noise yeah. uh, and eventually potentially get to know some of your neighbors. And just, again, I really want to stress, take your own temperature in terms of talking to the guys yeah. uh, in a friendly way. If you don't want to do that, absolutely do not take my advice. You know, talk to other people. That's fine. Yeah. We have a little bit of an update or rather a suggestion Ooh. from someone who was listening to a previous letter. If you don't mind, I'd like yeah. to read. So this one says, on a recent episode, Death by Stable Employment, a letter writer mentioned that she needed to work extra hard so that she wouldn't let her coworkers down. I have about 10 years of management experience and am in a senior role at a major media company, and I hear this all the time. But although it's well-intended, this train of thought actually often has the opposite of its intended effect and can even be harmful to the letter writer's coworkers, not to mention the letter writer herself. Right now, the letter writer's manager only has three concrete pieces of data. One, how many full-time and part-time employees she has. Two, how much it costs to employ them. And three, what results she gets from them. If the manager is new, like in the letter in question, and is trying to figure out how to appropriately staff her team, she doesn't have the right data points to help her figure this out. Or even if she knows she does need more employees, she has no data points to go and make a case to her own boss or finance lead or whoever that is that she needs a bigger team. It's really hard to ask for an extra headcount when on paper it looks like you have a team that can handle it all. So by doing the extra work, you're actually helping to create a system that can make it harder to ever get you and your coworkers the support you really need. I know it's hard for conscientious employees to let things slip through the cracks, but I hope this note can let the letter writer let go of some guilt in doing so. Just let your manager know what you can do in 40 hours of work a week and then let them do the job of actually managing to find a way to get the rest done. Good luck. I think that's really useful. I thought that was lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and to just be reminded of like things need to fall through the cracks uh, so that they can fill the cracks with employees. Right. <laughs> um, hopefully, I didn't I didn't yep. think that this was coming from a place of like, oh, letter writer, this is on you. You've made this worse by being so conscientious. Mm. Just sort of like explaining, here's how that can be counterproductive. Yeah. So letter writer, if you're listening, none of this is to say that like you've done a bad job by working extra hard. Just yeah. like why it's actually in your own self-interest to, to let go of it. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, it's not a problem I've ever had. I've, I don't, I don't historically go above and beyond. <laughs> like, you don't take on other people's work. I I admire those who do. Yeah, but no, I've never been like, oh, I couldn't. I I can understand it as an issue that other people can have. Yeah, I'm remembering the last office job I had, uh, where I just had a spreadsheet where every week I'd be like, boy, I should really be keeping up with this because it's not getting done, <laughs> and uh, somebody should do it. So, oh my god. Um, I mean, I'm not there anymore. Yeah. Obviously, uh, you know, I was I was rightly shunted into a different line of work. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm I've got lots of experience letting things slip through the cracks. So on that note, yeah, I'm gonna let this one slip through the cracks. <laughs> I'm gonna say we did enough today. We're done. Yeah. Great. We've advised people. We've advised people. Adrian, thank you so much. I'm very glad that we solved everyone's problems, and uh, I hope that you have a problem-free week. Oh, my God. Thank you. Same to you, and thank you so much for having me on. Of course. I almost said problem-free the right way, but I said problem-free. Problem-free. Which is not ideal. 
Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice or conversations with our guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe you need some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our big mood, little mood listener question form or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. Anything gets that gets you away from this guy, I think, yeah. is great. So talk to a management. Yeah. Talk to your other neighbors. Yes. A- and again, I get the part of you potentially just is like, I don't want him to like talk to me about this again. So I'm worried if I talk to other people, he might try to corner me and say, I hear you're telling other people. Right. And that would be totally. worse. Yeah. But just like, this is one of those things where like, Anything you can do to get other people looking out for you and on your side and helping you out and like screening for this guy is good. So I would encourage you to do any and all of the following. Talk to management. Talk to other people who live in the complex. Yeah. um, Especially like other women. And again, I don't mean that in a punitive sense of like knocking on total stranger's door if you feel really uncomfortable and saying like, I see that you let this guy walk your dog. You have to know this. I just mean there's anyone else that your girlfriend knows at all or that you're kind of friendly with just as both a sort of like warning to them and also to let them know like can you help me out if you ever do happen to see him do not ever say hi to him again nope walk away from him whenever you see him do anything you have to to get away Uh, spend less time around there to me this is like that is so freaky that he did that in an elevator yeah yes I I just want you to feel high levels of permission to talk to other people about this to listen to the rest of that conversation join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.